Welcome to the Adams Road Podcast, an outreach of the Christian music ministry Adams Road. Every week we examine a chapter from the Bible and share music filled with God's Word. You can find our weekly content by searching Adams Road Podcast on your podcast app. Let's start today by listening through Acts chapter 7, verses 1 through 21. The high priest said, Are these things so? He said, Brothers and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Get out of your land and from your relatives and come into a land which I will show you. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. From there, when his father was dead, God moved him into this land where you are now living. He gave him no inheritance in it, no, not so much as to set his foot on. He promised that he would give it to him for a possession and to his offspring after him, when he still had no child. God spoke in this way, that his offspring would live as aliens in a strange land, and that they would be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. I will judge the nation to which they will be in bondage said God, and after that they will come out and serve me in this place. He gave him the covenant of circumcision, so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him the eighth day. Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob became the father of the twelve patriarchs. The patriarchs, moved with jealousy against Joseph, sold him into Egypt. God was with him and delivered him out of all his afflictions, and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Now a famine came over all the land of Egypt and Canaan, in great affliction. Our fathers found no food, but when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers the first time. On the second time, Joseph was made known to his brothers, and Joseph's race was revealed to Pharaoh. Joseph sent and summoned Jacob, his father, and all his relatives, seventy-five souls. Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died, himself and our fathers. And they were brought back to Shechem, and laid in the tomb that Abraham bought for a price in silver from the children of Hamor of Shechem. But as the time of the promise came close, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt until there arose a different king who didn't know Joseph. The same took advantage of our race and mistreated our fathers and forced them to throw out their babies so that they wouldn't stay alive. At that time, Moses was born and was exceedingly handsome. He was nourished three months in his father's house When he was thrown out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up and reared him as her own son. Okay, today we're in Acts chapter 7. Stephen begins his defense before the council of the Sanhedrin in verse 2. So what was the accusation brought against him? From the previous chapter of Acts, we learned last week that false witnesses testified against Stephen, saying, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. They said before the council, 
This man never stops speaking blasphemous words against this holy place in the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs which Moses delivered to us. Stephen responds to their accusations by beginning to lay out the history of the people of Israel, starting here with Abraham in the first seven verses of this defense. He starts with common ground, relaying history the council well knew. Now Stephen's recounting of Israel's history in Acts 7 actually resembles the historical Psalms, like the 78th Psalm, which for example was a reflection of their own history of God's delivering miracles and patient and loving kindness towards his people, of their continual rejection of him, and of his chastening and judgments. Now let's reread how Stephen begins his defense. Verse 1, the high priest said, Are these things so? He said, Brothers and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran and said to him, Get out of your land and away from your relatives and come into a land which I will show you. Notice how Stephen highlights the God of Israel here as the God of glory. For the Sanhedrin, the land of Israel, Jerusalem and in particular the Herodian temple was centrally connected to the glory of God and to his presence. By stating that the God of glory appeared to Abraham in Mesopotamia, Stephen is reaching outside of their paradigm to remind them that God's presence and glory predates their man-made temple and that his glory and presence isn't limited to any one specific location. The Jewish authorities had turned the temple into an idol, overemphasizing its significance while rejecting the very Messiah it and everything done in it typified. One of their accusations against Stephen was that he supposedly had said Jesus would destroy the Herodian temple. <laughs> but you know what? Maybe that was one of the things Stephen actually did say or something akin. After all, Jesus prophesied in Matthew 24 verse 2 about that Jewish temple saying, Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. In hindsight, we know that their temple was destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans. We know the writer of Hebrews was aware of how the temple and the things done in it were coming to an end. Many experts date that book around 66 AD, just prior to the temple's destruction in 70 AD. The writer of Hebrews refers to the Jewish temple ordinances and workings as things presently done, but which were coming to an end. For example, Hebrews 8.13 says, In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Maybe Stephen was also well aware of this idea. I mean, we'll find out later on in the chapter, because he'll actually challenge the Sanhedrin's view of the temple more directly later on in his defense, de-emphasizing the need for a central, single, and static location and building to house God's presence. Okay, let's keep reading here from Stephen's defense, starting in verse 4. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. From there, when his father was dead, God moved him into this land where you are now living. He gave him no inheritance in it, no, not so much as to set his foot on. He promised that he would give it to him for a possession and to his offspring after him when he still had no child. 
God spoke in this way, that his offspring would live as aliens in a strange land and that they would be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. I will judge the nation to which they will be in bondage, said God, and after that they will come out and serve me in this place. Maybe the Sanhedrin had not only overemphasized the significance of their man-made temple, but also idolized their earthly inheritance given from God to Abraham's offspring. It was all about the land, the physical promises, the temple, the traditions, and their man-made rules. But Stephen brings out the fact in his defense that Abraham didn't receive any inheritance in the land of promise while he lived. We see Abraham portrayed as a man on the move, an alien, with no lasting earthly home or inheritance. This was a contrast to the council before whom Stephen spoke, who had made everything about the land, the temple, the physical blessings from God. I believe Stephen was touching on the same argument here that was also brought forth by the author of the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, which says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive for an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. The author of Hebrews goes on to say about the patriarchs, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Again, Stephen is referencing this same idea about Abraham and many of his earlier descendants as strangers and exiles on the earth not set on any earthly inheritance, but rather looking toward the heavenly city, which is to come. All right, back to Stephen's defense before the council, starting in verse 6. He gave him the covenant of circumcision, so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him the eighth day. Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob became the father of the twelve patriarchs. So circumcision had become the sign of the covenant for Israel, which was then passed down throughout the generations. All right, so Stephen, in the wisdom of the Spirit, appears to be very strategic in how his defense unfolds. He's going to address the accusations and refute the false witnesses. And during his defense, we'll actually see that the tides are going to shift and rise with increasing intensity as he also goes on the offense ultimately laying out God's charge against them. He's going to draw attention to certain characters in the history of Israel who are types for Jesus and bring to light how Israel's rejection of those men actually parallels their own rejection of Jesus. So after seven verses about Abraham, Stephen continues this tour through Israel's history. He kind of glosses over the patriarchs Isaac and Jacob, choosing rather now to spend the next segment of time really honing in on Joseph of Egypt. Starting here in verse 9, The patriarchs, moved with jealousy against Joseph, sold him into Egypt. God was with him and delivered him out of all his afflictions, 
and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Now a famine came over all the land of Egypt and Canaan in great affliction. Our fathers found no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers the first time. On the second time, Joseph was made known to his brothers, and Joseph's race was revealed to Pharaoh. Joseph sent and summoned Jacob his father and all his relatives, 75 souls. Jacob went down into Egypt and he died, himself and our fathers, and they were brought back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham bought for a price in silver from the children of Hamor of Shechem. So Stephen highlights the fact here that Joseph was rejected by his own brothers. Though many of his brothers even wanted to kill him, they settled with selling him into Egypt. But this man whom they rejected would end up becoming their ruler and deliverer. Joseph became governor over Egypt. The same brothers who had sold Joseph into Egypt found deliverance at his hand in a time of severe famine. And Stephen's defense here is an underlying tone and implication of Israel's own rejection of Jesus, growing less subtle and more apparent as he rolls towards some climactic and cutting statements against the council. So after talking about Joseph, Stephen then spends some time on Moses, starting in verse 17. But as the time of the promise came close, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt until there arose a different king who didn't know Joseph. The same took advantage of our race and mistreated our fathers and forced them to throw out their babies so that they wouldn't stay alive. Moses, like Joseph, is a type for Jesus. Many aspects of his life and ministry foreshadow elements regarding the life and ministry of Jesus. Moses was born during Pharaoh's edict, ordering the mass killing of every Hebrew baby. Jesus was born during King Herod's edict to kill all Hebrew babies under two. Moving on, starting in verse 20. At that time, Moses was born and was exceedingly handsome. He was nourished three months in his father's house. When he was thrown out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up and reared him as her own son. Moses came out of Egypt to redeem his people. Jesus, though born in Bethlehem, also grew up in Egypt. Jesus came out of Egypt to redeem the world. Moses stepped down from his high position in Egypt to rescue his people from slavery. Jesus came down from his royal position in heaven to rescue humanity from sin and death.
That was Son of Man from the Adams Road album, Son of Man.
This is the Adams Road Podcast, an outreach of the Christian music ministry Adams Road. You can learn more about us at AdamsRoadMinistry.com. Again, that's AdamsRoadMinistry.com. We release a new podcast episode every Saturday. Feel free to join us next week as we examine Acts chapter 7, verses 22 through 50. Grace and peace be with you all.